1: The
2: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
3: Tuesday morning, the 2nd of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. MPs rejected a number of indicative votes last night. Once again, the House of Commons failed to, to indicate a direction which would enjoy the support of a majority of MPs to solve the Brexit impasse. Four times they said no to the latest proposals put to a Commons vote. They voted no by a majority of three to a commitment to negotiate a permanent and comprehensive UK-wide customs union with the EU. They voted no by a majority of 21 to what was called Common Market 2.0 or Norway Plus, which would see the UK stay in the European Economic Area and rejoin European Free Trade Association and allowed access to the EU market. They voted no by a majority of 12 to a second referendum and they voted no by a majority of 101 to a no-deal emergency break, which would require uh, another vote if the UK got to within two days of a no-deal Brexit. That's in eight days from now, on Wednesday the 10th of April, before crashing out on the 12th, Friday week. The clock counts down to a Brexit crash-out on Friday the 12th as MPs just can't find a way of saying yes. The four votes lost last night are on foot of eight indicative votes lost last week and the rejection of Mrs May's deal on three separate occasions. That's 15 times MPs have said no. The Taoiseach is in Paris to meet President Macron as concern heightens and in the UK, Theresa May will chair a five-hour marathon cabinet meeting. Let's talk about all of this with Marion Harkin who's an independent member of the European Parliament. Uh, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. I'm sure we'll talk about all of the implications of all of this and indeed if the UK will stand candidates in the European elections which are in just under seven weeks from now. But perhaps we could start with those elections because you've decided yourself not to stand for election. What made you come to that decision?
4: Well good morning to you Michael and to all your listeners. Um, Yes, I have decided I won't contest the next European election. I suppose, Michael, I've only represented Louth for five years, but I've actually served 15 years in the European Parliament. And, uh, you know, it's been an honour and a privilege to do that. And I've said to, to, you know, a few commentators that you actually have to be elected before you understand that people place their trust in you. Because when they vote for you, that's what they do. So I think that, you know, they trust you to represent them at the EU institutions. And as I said, that's a privilege, and mm. I've taken it seriously. So after 15 years um, representing 11, 13, and this time out 15 counties, I feel I've made my contribution. To be honest with you, Michael, mm. I've agonized over this. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, have you made up your mind yet? And I said to them, I said, yes, I make up my mind every day. So it was a a case of one day would I stay, another day would I leave. So, in, you know, I'm heartbroken at one level, but Michael, it was my decision alone. And I suppose there were a number of issues that fed into it. Uh, Certainly travel is a big one. Um, And I don't complain about this because this is part of my work. But nonetheless, it it was. Over back to Brussels or Strasbourg every week, down to Sligo where I live, and 15 other counties to try and cover and have some visibility be available, etc. And then, of course, our real work in the Parliament is legislation and uh, ensuring that legislation passed by the EU uh, represents the views of Ireland and for purpose. And that's, again, a hugely responsible thing to do. It takes a great deal of time, mm. background work, research, and that's why people send us out there because they trust us to do that. So I just felt after 15 years Michael, I I had given it my best shot um, and I was going to uh, and did say yesterday that I would not contest the next election.
3: Okay, as you say, you've been a member of the Parliament for 15 years. Do you think uh, the last term has been overly dominated uh, by Brexit uh, because uh, it's uh, nearly three years since uh, the vote in June uh, and uh, undoubtedly it has uh, not just uh, dominated people's thinking but overshadowed other important issues that could have been dealt with and should have been dealt with?
4: Well, that's certainly true for the last 12 months and perhaps 18. Um I think it has really uh, engulfed uh, the parliament, the commission, the council uh, for the last 12 months anyway. I mean before that the negotiations were going on and um you know we were under the impression that uh, things were moving and that hopefully we would get some agreement. But in the last period of time this has become an emergency. Uh, there's a sense that, that we're all firefighting here. So yes, it has overshadowed. But it was for me, Michael, my main committee has been employment and social affairs and I am so pleased to be able to say that this term, unlike last term, we have made a significant uh, progress in putting in place some very good uh, social legislation. And I'll just, just give one example, mm. there's many, yep. but Uh, We have uh, legislation now which says equal pay for equal work in the same place. Now, most of your listeners will say, well, sure, hold on. We have equal pay anyway. But there was a directive called the Posting of Workers Directive, whereby a company from another country could send um, a number of workers to Ireland Mm. to, say, do a project. They tender, and if they got the tender, they could send them. But they didn't have to pay them the going wages, shall we say. Mm. And that meant that there was the possibility to undercut this famous phrase, race to the bottom. That's where it came from. And finally, after a long time, that legislation was changed this year. So while Irish workers might say, well, it doesn't affect me directly, Mm. it absolutely affects them indirectly.
3: And probably saw more people from other countries here, which I think is one of uh, the issues that may have fed into the popularity of uh, leaving Europe in the United Kingdom uh, and the idea of being able to pay Polish rates of pay in Ireland for work done in Ireland or in the UK for that matter may have led to an increase of people coming to these countries. Uh, But whilst people will not be able to vote for Marion Harkin in this country in the next European election. Do you think that people in the UK will be given the opportunity to vote for MEPs?
4: I think they they will, Michael. I mean, all along, I've held the line they won't crash out. Mm. I still believe that. That's the only thing the House of Commons agrees on. And while May will put them to the pin of their collar, um, I still think that, you know, they even though it's only an indicative vote that they will not uh, crash out. And in that case, they absolutely have to run European elections. The interesting thing about European elections in the UK, Michael, is that they're on a PR system, the same as ourselves. Mm. So it's not first past the post. That is actually going to give it a slightly different slant, because Obviously, unless somebody is so popular that they fly in, shall we say, the fact that it's PR um, means that um it, you know, that second and third and fourth preferences come into play. So let's say if somebody is a lever, they'll probably vote down the line for leave candidates. Equally, if somebody is a remainer, they'll probably vote down the line for a remainer candidate. So it actually might give some sort of an indication Mm. of how the country is thinking on that particular issue. Mm. Yes, there is concern, Michael, uh, that UKIP may return more candidates. There is a likelihood that the Conservatives could be very badly hit. And, of course, UKIP would look forward, perhaps, to joining with some of the the other uh, very, uh, let's call them, right-wing and some of them racist and um, parties uh, that will take seats in the European Parliament. So we could have a coming together of different grouping from countries like France, Marine Le Pen, um, Italy. I mean, Berlusconi is running for the European Parliament and they expect to be elected. He's 82 but he's still doing it. Uh, from countries like Hungary, Poland and many many other countries. Mm. Uh, so it, it could be a different Parliament. It will be a different Parliament actually, uh, but certainly the UKIP um, members, any of them that are elected, would will, will certainly mm. add to those slightly, or maybe even I would say substantially,
3: but certainly growing numbers, Michael. Well, I I think uh, there's certainly a lot of merit in your argument uh, that uh, the vast majority of MPs don't want to crash out and won't allow it if it's possible. So I think you're probably right that they won't crash out on the 12th. I think you're uh, probably right in your thinking uh, that they will have to stand candidates in the European elections and have MEPs elected and that they won't uh, leave on the 22nd of May either. I imagine that by the end of today there will be significant news and tomorrow we'll possibly be talking about a British general election which will be won and lost on Brexit policies or we could be talking about a second referendum or we could be talking about an application to stay in the European Union indefinitely uh, what What are your thoughts on, on those three options or well, do you think that there's more that we might be talking about tomorrow
4: No I, I don't think so Michael and you gave all the figures earlier and I had looked at those myself but I think what's also interesting Michael is how many people changed their minds mm. since last week? And I had a look at that. And if we take the Customs Union, which, as you say, was uh, just defeated by three votes mm. last night, uh, five people uh, changed their minds because the last time it was defeated by eight. Uh, if you take the common market, um, and that was a particular proposal put forward by a Conservative MP, Nick Bowles, mm. who actually announced leaving the Conservative Party after the votes last night. But there was 74 people who changed their minds since last week. Uh, 21, uh, the defeat last night was 21, but the defeat last week was 95. So 74 people changed their minds. If you look at the second referendum, I won't go into the figures, yep. I just say 75 people changed their minds.
3: And very and, close, uh, uh, yeah. a majority of 12 against.
4: Yeah. So, what we're saying then is that people are moving. Um, I don't know that they'll get a chance to, to do all of this again, but they certainly are moving. Uh, and there's it's just a hair's breadth at this point mm. uh, between one side and the other. But Theresa May has five hour meeting this morning she has to be able to come out from that meeting and as you say either say I'm putting my own um, proposal, the withdrawal agreement back to you again for the fourth time uh, I'm calling a general election uh, I, am, um, I I don't think she'll call a second referendum, I don't think May will do that not at this point and then she'll have to go back to Brussels Uh, look for a longer extension and commit to uh, electing MEPs. In fact, the government's made it uh, clear uh, that they would because they have instructed returning officers uh, to start preparing and told them that they will get paid
5: even if there isn't uh,
4: a European election. So it's Mm. clear the way they're thinking uh, at the moment. But I'll tell you, a a real concern, Michael, for us is the fact that that the uh, senior, uh, the most senior British civil servant is saying that uh, if uh, um, there's an no ordeal, that uh, there will be direction in Ireland, mm. because of course there'll have to be tough decisions taken uh, about Northern Ireland, etc. And that those decisions will be taken in Westminster. So, right. This, uh, is, um, this is
3: a very lengthy document uh, that uh, the Cabinet Secretary Mark Sadwell has uh, given uh, to uh, Theresa May's government uh, to contemplate but his comments uh, come on foot of comments made previously and possibly put into context the reason why we heard similar statements from Michael Gove, Karen Bradley and David Gawk in recent days.
4: Yes this document is a very substantial document and in it, apart from speaking about direct rule, he also, you know, uh, voices his concerns around issues like defence mm. problems with law and order,
3: extradition. currency,
4: extradition, mm. food prices, and um, all of the things that uh, I suppose people have been uh, warned about for a long time. Mm. Um, to say these are going to be significant issues, and a. Uh, contingency plans that uh, we voted through in uh, the Parliament um, last week, the week before. In fact, um, myself and a colleague from the UK, we led for the Parliament on one of the 20-plus the contingency pieces of legislation and that was around uh, Social Security, so that people would be entitled to whatever benefits they were entitled to day one, mm. etc. But those 20, I think it's 23 or 25, uh, on everything from Social Security to aviation to yeah. shipping, but they're all, they're all just safety nets, Michael. They're all basic. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. There's nothing extra there. And... and-
3: It's odd as well, I I think, uh, because uh, the Justice Secretary seemed to be putting up uh, to the DUP the idea of uh, direct rule would lead to instability, uh, a threat to the peace process, and may actually result in a united Ireland. On the other hand, I heard David Davis, uh, the former Brexit Secretary, say this morning uh, that uh, whilst he was aware of that opinion, he didn't think it stood up.
4: Look, um, and I I don't like to uh, criticise people, um, Michael, but David Davis's opinion wouldn't rank very highly with me, (laughs) given uh, his role in all of this, and especially his role as Brexit secretary. I mean, he was replaced, and then, of course, his replacement was replaced. Mm. But um, I think, put it this way, in his role, in his hugely important role representing his country at perhaps you know, one of the most important negotiations that they will, you know undergo or be involved in, in in maybe a hundred years, that he did such a poor job and that he was no support to his country so look um his opinion mm-hmm. after all of that okay. i'm not i'm not pushed about and of course he like a number of others uh, have one focus in mind at the moment who is going to be the leader of the new conservative party and even if you're not going to be the leader Will you support the eventual winner so that you will be rewarded at some point with a cabinet ministry or whatever? Mm-hmm. I suspect mm-hmm. that that's what a lot of uh, con- senior conservatives or uh, Some. Are concentrating
3: on right okay, now. Well, a lot of them are concentrating uh, on uh, what is being said behind closed doors without the officials at number 10 today, and I think it'll be a very interesting day, and uh, indeed uh, the clock ticks down uh, to what is uh, that cliff edge on Friday week. Otherwise, uh, but we we'll leave it there for the moment, and I'm sure we'll speak to you before the elections, and thank you indeed for joining us today, and indeed over uh, the many years... Uh, that the I can have the
4: before mm-hmm. I, I finish tonight, i Thank LMFM. Uh, as I thanked many local radio stations and media outlets yesterday, um, it's, it's new and people like you. Uh, give me an opportunity to connect uh, citizens from Loud and Mead with what's happening in the Parliament, uh, etc. And people talk about this gap and the democratic deficit. Well, in my opinion, for what it's worth, it's local radio stations make a very significant effort to bridge that gap so that people, and it's not just me, it's all MEPs and what's going on, that they get to hear our voices and they get
3: Okay. That they have
5: some connection. Well, thank you, Michael.
3: Okay. Thank you very much indeed, Marian Harkin, independent MEP. And uh, apologies. I think it probably was uh, a little bit difficult to hear Marian Harkin's voice, ironically, uh, as it was uh, towards uh, the end of that interview.
6: Michael, Michael
3: Reed on, on LMFM. Yeah, the Minister for the Environment announced yesterday that a special fund to clamp down on illegal dumping is to be increased by 50% to 3 million euro. It'll allow for drones to be used to identify people who are illegally dumping, as well as awareness campaigns and special collections of awkward items dumped. Anywhere you like, as the case may be. Uh, but uh, the use of drones has been described as an investment in gimmicks by the SIPTU trade union. Let's hear why. Adrian Kane is SIPTU's public administration and community division organiser. Good morning to Adrian and thanks for joining us. Uh, what's wrong with drones?
7: Good morning, Michael. Um, I suppose uh, in themselves there, there's nothing wrong with the initiative, but I'm reminded of um, Tony Blair's words of what we need to be is we need to be tough on the causes of uh, what he said was crime, but we need to be tough on the causes of pollution. And we we need to be tough on people who are caught in the act as well. And the point that we would make is that rather than having the money uh, being invested after the fact, and this follows on from the the initiative announced by the, the minister uh, in February, about increasing powers to local authorities um, to prosecute householders who don't have um, who don't have a waste collection um, mm-hmm. service. What what we believe is that there are structural flaws in the way in which domestic uh, waste is collected at the moment, and we'd be better off investing in that. Um, rather than trying to, to prosecute people and cleaning up after the facts. That's the point. Of
3: is it that those problems as you perceive them are the cause for uh, illegal dumping and that this is a little bit like putting the fire out after it's started but rather than doing that you're saying uh, that you should prevent the fire from happening?
7: Well, I, exactly. And I, I think there's a couple of things that I want to and um, I talked about waste on, on your show on a number of occasions, Michael, mm. but of all households in the Republic have no domestic waste collection service. That's almost one in four. And that seems to be lost in this entire debate. The other point uh, that uh, I I would note is that once you did away with the waiver system, which was typically in place when local authorities um, provided the service, I would imagine, and I don't have the statistics to back this up, mm. but I would imagine there's a direct correlation with increase in illegal dumping, and once you did away with the the, the waiver service, so either you, you can prosecute people, or else you could look at a system whereby, um, and, and I think there needs to be, you know, serious structural reforms, and, and I've called, you know, for a forum in relation to this before of all the stakeholders. Yeah, but. If you had uh, a waiver um, system in place, similar to what had been in place under the local authorities, I dare say we'd do away with an awful lot of illegal dumping. And probably in the whole scheme of things, it would be cheaper than um, gimmicks, as I've called them, in terms of drones and, and trying to, as you said, put, put out the fire... Um, after it, rather than looking at, at what's causing it in the first place.
3: In other words, you're saying that people can't uh, afford to pay for their rubbish to be collected.
7: Yes, and, and I mean, that, that's the system that was in place before. It's the system that's in place in most countries uh, in Europe. Um, but we can't seem to get our head around that. Um, and, and like we do have the most unregulated domestic waste collection service in Europe. And, and again, I would point to this um, study that was carried out by um, this report by the Competition people, you you and Consumer you, you Protection You can't commission make people
3: to get a, a contract with the BIM company, can you?
7: No, you can't. And I mean, when they, that, that 23% is a combination of uh, people who can't get access to a yeah. service and people who choose not to have a service. You know, So there are large swathes, and it's typically in the country, there is no service to avail of because it's not profitable for the company providing the service to to travel the distances between houses. And in in urban areas, some people don't, uh, and usually down to affordability, don't take it out. Mm. Um, And unless you recognize those fundamental facts Mm. and then start trying to design a system around that, I, you know, I think we can spend all the money uh, and I think the the figure for 2017 we spent 7 million which I'd say is probably just a fraction of what was actually spent mm-hmm. on illegal dumping. But I don't see this resolving um, the, the issue in any real way and I think there's a panic set in with the government with regard to seem to be acting on environmental issues but, but that's all, it's a panicked kind of frantic mm-hmm. response rather than uh, you know a real structure analysis something struck me the other day in saying that you know if the economic model of the 20th century was profit orientated and set by this kind of mania to make profit that the economic models that we need to put in place are, have to be based around saving the planet and sustainable uh, in environmental policies it need to be the way in which we organise everything else and we're not doing that on waste at the moment.
3: So you believe that con- people will continue to uh, dump illegally?
7: Yeah, I, I mean the, the the facts of there, and people can see it I, I, you know I mean it's a problem in some areas yeah. more than than most. And that's the
3: idea of the drones isn't it that they police these areas and they'd catch people red-handed.
7: Yeah, well I mean I, I don't know why I, the, the the announcement in February about local authorities being given powers and you're going to have um um television Type inspectors call into houses that didn't have house, uh, didn't have um, a collection service. I've no idea has that happened at all. And as I say, my sense of it is. Is a minister is under pressure mm. and announcing sort of... Um, the examiner was reporting
3: it. the other day that uh, they'd have the power to do that in Cork. I think, I don't know if that's a pilot project or how it's being rolled out, but I'm not sure that it matters even because if they come and to say, do you have a yeah. contract with a bin company, you soon take one out and maybe you put the bin out once a year. Well, uh, you're you're not obliged to anyway. Is the point that mm. you'd made?
7: But, but but all they'd be asking is how are you disposing of your waste, and, and you can say, well, shall I bring it to the to the civic mm. uh, site or I'll put it in my mother's uh, bin. Uh, I put it in my you, mother's yeah, bin yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's an utter nonsense. And I mean, I don't I don't think this initiative is far off it either in terms of, as I say, just to be seen to be doing things rather than looking at the structural causes. Of why we have so much pollution in the
3: country? Oh, man, I suppose we're all well accustomed with illegal dumping and uh, all well fed up with it at this stage. We we'll leave it there for the moment, though, Adrian. Thank you indeed for joining us yes, as always, you, Adrian Kane, SIPTU Public Administration and Community Division Organiser.
6: Michael, Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. Now, we stay with uh, the issue of illegal uh, dumping. Uh, the drug independent reports uh, this week uh, that 80 fines were issued in uh, the course of uh, the last year. I suppose that's uh, about two a fortnight. Let's talk about this with Emma Coffey, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor. Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, uh, this uh, relates uh, to the county of Louth. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's a, a good number of fines for illegal dumping or a bad number, but I think uh, people will be very concerned to hear that there was just one fine handed out for dog fouling.
8: Yes, which is, uh, is this is the difficulty that we had. The year before, Michael, we actually were the second highest in the country with 12 uh, fines in 2017. Um, being Dublin being the other highest one and um, this is an issue that's countrywide. it's not just with clouds but for dog fouling uh, and on the spot fines effectively is mm. not working in my opinion and it's not working because you have to actually catch people or dogs in the mm. act of, so, of uh, fouling.
3: So it's okay to let your dog foul the pavement?
8: Mm. It certainly is not.
3: Oh no it is. Not. No, well so well they, I mean it is in the eyes of the authorities obviously because they can't do anything about it.
8: Well, I well, well, what I believe is is that they, they need to do more to enforce the, the, the legislation that's there and and Loud County Council have stated that their wardens have gone out at particular times, but you and I know... Well,
3: obviously they need to do more if, if it is to be of any consequence, yes. uh, but because they're doing whatever they're doing or not doing whatever it is that they aren't doing, uh, it's okay to allow your dog to fell the pavement.
8: It is absolutely not okay to allow, allow uh, dog felling. But sure, okay. why, and, and ex- why not? And why not? If you can just let me finish, Michael. It's the responsibility of the owners. The dogs are the dogs, and they but well. Sure, they're they brain to, dead. You know, but, but the, it's the responsibility but of but the. owners. But you're their brain
3: and, dead. I, I mean, they're, 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 these people have no moral conscience whatsoever, and there is no consequence for them allowing their dogs to foul the pavement.
8: There is a consequence. There's legislation there. There's prosecutions in respect no, of No, there is. One what, fine what, in a what year. What we, in the county of Louth. Yes, and I am saying to you that that is not acceptable. Yeah. So, shouting at me, Michael, is no, not no, I think to you're alleviate shouting dinner. at me. Emma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm in total agree with, in agreement with you in, in regards to we I need know. to do mm. more. The county mm. needs to do more. Mm. Like, local authority needs to do more. Uh, in relation to um, yeah. looking at enforceability and also looking at other other avenues of how we can mm. ensure that owners have a responsibility. No, I don't agree if with you, actually. Can, can I something explain
3: something. to you why I don't agree with you? Because I think they need to do something, uh, because it seems to me that they're not doing anything that's working. If there's just one fine in the course of a, a year, I'd have to disagree and say it's not that they need to do more. They need to do something, something that's effective.
8: Oh, yeah, something that's effective, that's not. But the case of, of the matter, and we, we, I, I raised this question, uh, and I, I brought a motion last year, uh, my colleague Maeve brought a motion recently, and this, this is something that is a continuing, ongoing basis, that councils get representations from the public in regards to this. I can guarantee you, yeah. Michael, that every Monday or every Friday, I get phone calls and pictures of a very distressed, citizens and lives of, of young mothers with mm. buggies of young no, no, mothers yeah. with children who yeah. are walking yeah. to school destroyed yeah. have to go back and change yeah. elderly people with you know poor sight um and and it, it's an absolute blight on mm. our on our on our roads our footpaths and our public par- mm. parks and what's even it some of them even take the time to uh, bag the fowl, but actually just hang it on trees Which is, you know, that to me is, if you've taken the trouble to actually go and Mm. do that, uh, you know, at least take responsibility and dispose of it in a proper manner. Um, And, and, you know, there has to be a, there has to be also, local authorities have to do more, loud local authority has to do more, but owners of dogs have to be more responsible and look at the wider wider issue.
3: No, they don't.
8: Uh, I, look... That's a hundred and fifty euro. a fine to me. is not yeah. It's not a high enough fine mm. in, in, in regards to this. But well, we,
3: that's the point. That's,
8: but in, in all, they're not going to get fined anyway. It makes a difference how high the fine is mm. if it's not being enforced then it can be €1,000, €2,000 if we're not, if it's not being caught. And this is the problem with the, that's, with the that's actual legislation.
3: That's the point, because if we start saying that dog owners have to do the responsible thing and dog owners need to realise this and dog owners, la, 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 la. Well, then we're digging in our, our heads in the sand because these people are not listening and they will not listen.
8: No, they won't listen. But I also think that we need to be looking at... The, the, the alternatives in respect to this and the harsher punishments, incentive schemes, um, literally collection methods, DNA testing. I mean, this was raised in the Council Chamber on numerous occasions. All of these uh, areas that I'm talking about in respect of it. Mm. But there appears to be a reluctance or a lack of investment in dealing with this. And, there, and, and oh, shall I say that the matter is not being taken seriously. This is a, this is a blight uh, and literally a blight um, on, on people going about their everyday yeah. lives in, in respect of it. And it's up to local authorities, including Lowe, um, to actually enforce enforce the law that's there. Not it's uh, what I think one hundred and fifty euros on the spot fine, but if you go to court, you know, it's up to two and a half thousand hmm. um on it. And you know well, why, why don't to-
3: why don't why don't we fine people two and a half thousand euro and confiscate the dog?
8: Well, then you're going to have a more cost involved in relation to housing the dog, rehoming well, the dog, and respect of it. Uh, but I, I agree with you that the I'd say f- is, f- f- five is,
3: five confiscated dogs, and you soon see a change in behaviour.
8: It's but the but the issue is here. Uh, the reality of it is that people are fined on the spot. I, I, more than one hundred and fifty euros, because I don't believe one hundred and fifty euros is enough of an on the spot
3: Just take the dog off them. They, they, if they don't deserve to have a dog, don't let them have a dog. Bar them from having dogs.
8: That's not the law as it currently stands, Michael. No. And if you're say and if you're asking, if you're asking, can that be done? I don't know if it can be done. Uh, in relation to it. But I do, be- I do believe that we, we have a bylaw for an Well, you quite outside. often
3: hear judgments in the courts uh, prohibiting people from keeping pets or from keeping dogs above a certain size or whatever the case may be. I'm sure if there's a will, there's a way. Uh, and if people are not responsible enough to have dogs, if they can't live alongside their neighbours uh, uh, in a civil way, and it is a, a question of civility, if they can't be civil, uh, well, then surely they're not entitled to have a dog.
8: Well, I believe if they're not prepared if they're not prepared to look after a dog to the full extent that they have a responsibility to do, including cleaning up their their, their fowl then that, ha- that, that is a matter that will have to be looked at. But as, as councillors and as loud County Council, what we, we can only do is enforce the, the bylaws and the legislation that has been there. And it is not taking place at the moment. We have, as I say, councillors have raised it on numerous occasions in the chamber as to why. We've been told that the dog ward or the, 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 the council wardens, because they're not just dog wardens, mm. Um, only work within working hours, so they don't work early in the morning and they don't work late in the evening. I can guarantee, I can guarantee mm. that if that if that was to change, yeah. then you would see an increase in the fines. Could we could you, we
3: rent drones for twelve months? We were just hearing from Minister Bruton. I think they said in the news last night it cost fifty thousand for a drone. Could we rent, you know, three of them for twelve months?
8: Fifty thousand. I actually believe that you know, if we had people, if we had wardens who were who were who were on patrol, so to speak, in the high areas uh, between seven and nine a.m. in the morning, and between six and eight p.m. Mm. in the mo- in the evening, we would see a drastic reduction in this type of behaviour. Because it, drones, I believe, is not going to work. I think it's a fad. Uh, okay. I think it might be. Uh, mm. you know, well, can we do this, that? Can we, can
3: we employ people for it?
8: Well, we have. Well, shall I say, Michael? This has been raised on numerous occasions in relation to this. Can can this be done? Why can't wardens be be? Well, in,
3: it can in, be done. It's just that you know, well, there isn't the will to do it.
8: As, well, we have been told that the, that the that the the, the cost-effectiveness of it is prohibitive. But the, the reality of it is, mm. surely to God, if we had more, maybe time so, that would we'll cover itself yeah,
3: or confiscated the dogs as i was saying so that there was a real onus on people who wanted to have dogs to act responsibility uh, responsibly if they did actually want to have them
8: well as i say, that is a responsibility that i i think that would follow through in relation to the enforceability of of what we actually already have there uh michael like we have bylaws that if if uh dog owners aren't carrying uh, proper uh, bags, for want of a better word, to, to mm. clean up there, and we can issue an on-the-spot fine. And now and County Council passed that, I believe, uh, in 2010, 2011. You know that that was mm. when that was passed. But it's the enforceability of those. We so can pass here everything. We are
3: nine years on, and yes, one fine can, in the course of the last year. It last year and twelve itself, the, the
8: year yeah, before, yeah, yeah, and okay. uh, that and the twelve the year before, Michael was uh, the second highest in the country. Okay. So this is not just a Loud County Council
6: problem. Of course, yeah, no, problem.
3: I understand. I have to leave it there, though. I'm out of time and thank you for your time and thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, that's Fianna Fall Councillor been. Emma Coffey.
6: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now
3: uh, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
9: Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Debbie phoned in. She was listening to your interview at the top of the show with Marion Harkin, MEP, and she wonders why would the UK have EU candidates if they are going to leave? Is that not a waste of seats, time and money? Debbie wants to know.
3: Well, that's the question. Are they going to leave? (laughs) <laughs> or when are they going to leave? If they are going to leave, the, clock is ticking. the possibility is that they won't be leaving at all, or that they'll be in uh, the European Union indefinitely, or that it'll be a long term extension.
9: Jim was also listening to that interview and he says that the European elections are so important that Ireland, we need to have top quality MEPs to represent us and make our voices heard. When you see the clout that the EU have, it really is so important and people need to realise that when it comes to the elections. Okay,
3: well, we'll be talking about elections and a lot of talk about elections over the course of uh, the next seven weeks or so.
9: Seamus, uh, also from Dundalk Wonders, if the EU is going to give the UK an extension, as they have not agreed to May's deal, they could well crash out, Michael, he warned, on April 12th, with no deal. Mm. It seems to me, say Seamus, they are just going round and round in circles. Can you see any solutions, Michael? Seamus well, wants to I know. Well, I don't
3: know. I hope he's wrong, because as we've been hearing, uh, the chief civil servant has uh, advised uh, the cabinet ahead of this marathon meeting today that if uh, they crash out, it'll have to go to direct rule. In Northern Ireland, uh, we've heard Michael Gove say something similar. The Northern Secretary say something similar. Karen Bradley and indeed uh, Mr Gawke, the Justice Minister, say something similar as well. And he was making the suggestion that direct rule would lead to such a threat to the peace process that it could result in a united Ireland. Uh, I was talking to Marion Harkin a little bit earlier on this morning about comments made to the BBC by the former Exit Secretary David Davis, uh, and he seemed to be dismissing the idea of uh, going back to direct rule in Northern Ireland. Well, you know, I, I've had some of these briefings as a Privy Councillor briefing, and
2: not previously been able to talk about it, but since it's in the public domain, I will. I mean, one of the things he says, is it talks about it, is food shortages. The only way we can have food shortages, if we cause it if we actually stop food coming in at the border. 10% rise in prices. Which is ridiculous. And they, I guess, again, where did they get that from? So, you know, so that's the first thing. Second thing on the security front, we will not have... What he actually says, we will not have all the mechanisms we currently have, mm. which is true. We wouldn't have necessarily the, the arrest warrant arrangements. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to have formidable uh, uh, levels of protection. We are the biggest intelligence power and, and uh, policing power in Europe. The idea they're going to stop neg- uh, uh, dealing with us is sort of ridiculous. Uh, and you go through all this, it's a complete scare, white horse scare story.
3: Right, uh, that's uh, David Davis talking about uh, the advice from uh, the Cabinet Secretary, Mark Sadwell. As uh, we heard earlier on, that view was being dismissed uh, by Marion Harkin.
9: Sean rang in and what he wants to know is, do they actually know the word yes in Westminster? Because all it is... Is no, no, no. They're rejecting everything. Says Jim.
3: All right. Well, uh, David Davis, uh, I think, uh, gave it an indication in that interview to the BBC this morning of what might make MPs say yes: prevention of Northern Ireland being torn out of the United Kingdom. That's the that's the sort
2: of fundamental issue. So we're back to the backstop. The, the, yeah, exactly. That you know, and it was the backstop that Parliament hated so much that you had the biggest majority against in history. So, so you've got to resolve that issue. The backstop. The you, you arranged and you thought could... No, 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 with respect. I mean, we, we can go down that route if you want. we waste your, we waste your interview. i uh, argued against it, uh, both right. in Cabinet, uh, in, in negotiation and so on. What then is the solution? So on. um, what ha- the one thing that Parliament has voted for is what's called the Multihouse Compromise. Now, for your listeners to remind them, this uh, involves alternative arrangements for Northern Ireland to allow there the, to be no visible border. Now... Last week, or in the last week or so, we've heard from uh, Mr. Faragka, we've heard from Mr. Barnier, Mr. Juncker, that in the event of no deal, be no visible border. So clearly they understand there are technical measures, current administrative measures that can be used, and we have to go back to them. What should happen this afternoon is Steve Barclay should be on the plane to Brussels to That's go and exactly. talk to them about that, because Parliament voted for it. Uh, The government appeared to accept it, but it's never actually been put to the European Union.
3: David Davis speaking to.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
3: the BBC. He makes it sound also simple, doesn't he? Oh,
7: well, they all make mm. it sound also
9: simple, if only it was. A texter says, mm. we are fed up to the back teeth of Brexit, Michael. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie from Navin phoned in and Charlie says, I have to go back to the Speaker of the House in this comment because mm. every time that John Burko says the nose have it, yep. I get this horrible picture in my head, Michael, of the character out of Pinocchio and all I can see are the noses of the members of the houses getting bigger and Baker, mm. maybe I'm losing it. Maybe I'm just Brexit out. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I
3: saw a giant puppet outside Westminster on uh, some of uh, the TV coverage uh, last night. Uh, a puppet of Mrs. May with a very big nose.
9: <laughs> okay, mm. we've had a, quite a bit of response into uh, in relation to drones and fly tipping and mm. dog fouling. Jacqueline mm-hmm. uh, says, "Why not use the technology of drones to catch illegal jumpers? Put them to good use." However, we had an email in from um, Danny and Danny says Michael can you get someone to explain how the use of drones will help stop illegal dumping to have drones in the air when people are actually dumping is much too far fetched It would require God knows how many drones in the air 24-7 with operators, obviously, which is not practical or possible. If they intend to have them in air only at selected times and places, they know the dumping will take place, then they could as easily have inspectors on the ground at that time. Don't they realise that if dumpers hear or see drones in an area. They're mm. just going to wait until the drones are taken down when the battery runs out. It's sheer madness okay, says Danny.
3: Yeah. It's an interesting thought. I think they do work to some degree because uh, some of the behaviour is predictable. There's parts of the country as people will testify where people are dumping all the time and mm. it's rubbish on top of rubbish. Yes. It's a funny thing actually. You know, If uh, you throw a cigarette box on the ground uh, within a half an hour you'll probably see two cigarette boxes and then uh, bit of packaging from a local takeaway and before you know it it builds up Uh, but if the streets are clean people tend not to throw rubbish on the streets Uh, and I, I think it's kind of the same thing people think that there are places where you can legitimately dump illegally
9: Ronnie says, drones can't fly in the wind. Random council, mobile patrols, we have parking wardens. Why not dump wardens? Mm,
5: Okay.
9: Michael says, Eileen, you seem to have all the answers. What do you think that the council should be doing that is effective? For dogs. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Take
3: the dogs off the people. (laughs) Uh, Mm. Police the streets for a short period of time. (laughs) <laughs> and have serious consequences I, I i don't know maybe it's too dramatic to take the dogs off the people maybe uh uh 5,000 euro fine or a a 2,500 euro fine as Emma Coffey said or or, or something else that would capture the imagination of people that would get the attention of people who would then say well I'm not going to do that it's not worth Mm. it it's far easier to pick up after the dog John
9: agreed with you he phoned in the only one that that agreed with that says that if the dogs were confiscated the owners would soon clean up after themselves I'm sick of it Michael every time I go for a walk I'm getting poo all over my shoes you're looking and you're trying to avoid it Uh, Sometimes that's impossible.
3: Yeah. Well, imagine if you were in here tomorrow, as you will be, uh, uh, as always on a Wednesday, telling us what's on the front page of the local newspapers. And every local newspaper had some story about somebody who was being penalised because of not picking up after their dogs, whether it was confiscating the dog or a €10,000 fine or whatever it was. Everybody else would be looking at it going, oh, my God oh, I won't be doing that. I know. You know, yes. and that's what it takes. You need front page stories. You dramatic need dramatic. Yeah. And four or five times and you'll soon see a change of behaviour, I believe.
9: Well, Modra, my dog training, texting, mm. uh, they've uh, their solution, they mm. say that they feel that more and more people are cleaning up after the I dogs. I agree, yeah. And they say mm. that you should teach your dog to toilet in your own garden. Yeah. Don't feed dogs before walking. Mm. Dogs get into the habit of toileting mm. in, cer- in certain areas so if you can try and train them this is what they're suggesting. Well you see that
3: that, that is very wise sensible, responsible advice and a waste of time because the people who allow their dogs to foul the streets and don't pick a bar for them won't listen and that's the problem. You can talk till the cows come home to these people and they will not listen. You've got to make it uh, something that they'll be afraid of being punished for.
9: Mary says we bring our dog for walk most days we bring our bags Michael and we pick up every time um, they poop. It's so frustrating though when you pass other dog owners Mm. who don't give a hoot they just Mm. let the dogs poo all over the footpath. They haven't got a shriek of care like that they don't Mm. seem to be bothered at all by doing this. Mm. It's absolutely disgusting. I agree that something needs to be done.
3: It's amazing as well, how much damage can be done by not one dog but by one dog's owner? Because if that dog has walked on the same street every day for a week, that's, that's true, yes. that's seven lumps mm. on the street. Yes, you know, I, I mean, it's not every dog owner, it's not every dog, uh, but there is a problem with some
9: text her, why is Michael Reed unsure whether 80 fines is good or bad? Up and down the country, people in urban areas are littering their towns and cities, yet local authorities pretend they are going after litter louts. In my area of Dublin, a woman who was dumping continuously nappies mm. in an area was eventually caught and was only fined for one, was mm. only given mm. one fine for yeah. littering, even though it had been 300 continuous. 300
3: nappies or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
9: and mm. that's mm. the point that this listener wanted yeah to make. Just in relation to uh, the, the, the bins uh, a listener says that how can it be right for people to be able to call to your home to check if you are registered with a bin collector. Mm. Maybe you have other arrangements Michael. Mm. Some people share bins or an old person on their own might give the rubbish to mm. a son or daughter. I think this is an invasion of privacy that comes in from Kathleen. Mm. Another listener with a reference to fly tipping. This interview is ignoring the number of people not registered with bin companies but actually use their local. Recycling centres.
3: Mm, I think that was mentioned by Adrian Kane, uh, and he said that you can knock on people's doors forever. Uh, There's no obligation on you to have a a contract with a bin company.
9: And finally, then, Breeder from Navin, why not give us something for our local property tax? Give us waste bins.
3: In other words, that it would be free collections. Yes. All right. OK, thanks for that. Uh, and I think the suggestion from SIPTU is that there will be waivers for some people. Uh, but uh, obviously, it's a service that would have to be paid for, generally speaking. We'll leave it there. Thank you to everybody who has been in touch. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight.
6: Michael, Michael Reed on,
3: on LMFM Now let's talk a, a, about rural crime and uh, prevention of that and indeed uh, the role that community policing can play in all of this uh, This is following a report published last week by the Oireachtas Justice Committee on Community Policing and Rural Crime. Peter Fitzpatrick is an independent TD in Louth and a member of that committee. He joins us now and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, if you were to sum up the report in a few words, you'd be suggesting that there would be more policing, more intervention and more enforcement.
10: Well, Michael, first of all, thanks for inviting me on your show this morning. I, I agree 200% with you. I think we need more patrols. And Michael, we also mentioned that, to, uh, that the Garda stations close. There's, there's, no, there's no reason why these Garda stations can't be opened up again. Uh, the, community, the community policing is a major thing in River Island uh, the local people all they want is a quality of life they want someone in the community that they know That vetting goes wrong that they want your phone call away that they want your knock of the door away hmm. and this is something that's being neglected
3: but is it that people are living in fear or is their perception of the threat that exists a real threat because the crime statistics are down aren't they in a lot of these categories
10: I agree with you Michael but it's, it's at the same time too Michael it's prevention like like for example if, if you look at at, 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 the, at the text this text alarm scheme going on at the moment the, the local thing like for example in Cooley there they've got this text that it, if they see uh, certain things going on in certain areas they text people and all people want to know exactly what's happening and in fairness and like over the years is if you see a patrol car or you see a, a guard walking the street and everything else we mm-hmm. all feel that we would say for but Michael society has changed big time there at the moment is like in the rural Ireland, I think the, the main problem there was it, it's maybe farm machinery and maybe things out there. But my my biggest problem I have at the moment is, and I think what I, what highlighted the whole the the whole thing was, the guards are not getting an opportunity to do their work. What I mean by, by there is they should be out there patrolling, looking after the people. Now, a, lot of, a lot of things that happened to me lately Michael and I, I have a few examples of myself is like people out there are suffering from mental health like if a family's having problems there at night time what they do is they ring the guards the guards seem to be the solution for everything yeah. when the guards go to the house and say, say it's social issues or mental health issues well, what do the guards do? I feel as though the guards are going to end up babysitting for the next 16 hours because uh, uh, they can't leave the family in, in, in fear mm. uh, there's no way you can actually go with these people because if you go if, if, if you go to a hospital they turn you away. way you go to psychiatric units they're all closed mm. like like the government promised for the last number of years there's going to be more primary care centres in, in all around the country and if you had a few primary care centres in rural Ireland it means that the guards can go get a bit of help now, and then I also hear and this the,
3: is the area of intervention now, oh, because yeah. quite often the end result for people with mental health problems is incarceration they end up in prison rather than in hospital
10: the next thing I hear too is uh, oh, we're going to train the guards up in, in skills of how to, how to intervene with, with these kind of people we have a we have HSE system out there that we are spending 17 billion euros a year. Times have changed. The, the people tell you, there's no such thing anymore as a nine to five job. These these, these primary care centres or these hospitals or even take to the dog MIU, these places should be open nearly 24-7. Mm. The guards work 24-7. The army work 24-7. Like We have to change our times. All people want to do is a bit of help. And I maintain, if, if this thing, uh, prevention was got from an early stage and like... Uh, I think Drew Howard has a big play, part to play in this as well because in Northern Ireland uh, they've got these agencies together. They've got the police, they've got the HSE, they've got social care. They're all working together as a team. That if a guard has uh, goes through a house and does issues there with mental health, oh. they. They, they've got a specialist. They can actually ring the person will actually come and help them out. This is something you have to do in a, in, 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 in the Republic of Ireland. And Drew Harris has the experience there at the moment. So what, what I'm saying, Michael, is I think the likes of the HSE, uh, the Department of Justice, should get together and sit down and walk and see what's the best way. Prevention. Mm. Like, you know,
3: and they're th- very tragic stories. Uh, are, are they not unusual stories, though? Uh, tragic and all as they are. Or do you believe that mental health problems... Is the cause of a, a lot of crime?
10: Well, Michael, I'm going to get me seven trouble here, but I'm, I'm going to try to be honest here. A few weeks ago, there, uh, this this mother came to me into dog, and her son was threatening to commit suicide, psychiatric problems. So what we done was we we, uh, we, we, we the doctor uh, done a section eight, which meant he got to the psychiatric uh, unit there in the Cross Lanes, a, a brand new centre that only opened up there in 2016 by Minister Helen McEntee. We went up there and we left him in there, and a few hours later we got a phone call saying it was released um, and the young fella had no f- mobile phone absolutely nothing so the mother came in to me we jumped in the car we went up to the psychiatric uh, unit they, they told us to let him out and then after a while we discovered then that when they let him out he didn't go out the front gate he jumped across the fence and we asked him did he go away and uh, we asked him did, did he report the incident to the, to the, to the guards and they said no so I, I suggested to mother that we better walk down and report that he could be running up the motorway We didn't know where the young fella was, so we went down to the, we down to the guard station. And in fairness, the guards couldn't do enough for us. They talk us into we were this and they done the whole lot. The next thing we got, we heard a phone call coming in to the guards. there's someone down in the A and E down in the Leeds Hospital running around the car park in the nude? And who was it? That poor woman's son. The guards had to go down, uh, 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 arrest him, put him in the back of the squad car, talk him back, and the guard. We we spoke to the guards. And uh, the guards couldn't believe that this, this person was released. Next thing we had to do was we had to go away and get another doctor to do another section eight, and then when we were done with the paperwork, they told us on the phone that if the paperwork's not correct. They won't take him in, and I think the only reason to talk him in, Michael, was the guards talk him down and actually put him into the unit. Like this is going on over all over Ireland, and and, and,
3: and, and what well, well, what's a section eight? That's committing him. Committing, to, it, it, yeah, yeah, it,
10: mm-hmm. means, it means that the, the power of the Tony's taken off. And, the, and,
3: and why was he released? Michael, I, I still ask that mm. question. Mm. I met
10: the HSE there last week, and uh, I'm, I'm, at the moment mm. I'm putting to uh, something. This is this is only this is two incidents Michael mm. I've done the last number of weeks. And,
3: and do, you, do you think it's a, a a big problem? I mean, it is a very very tragic story, and it's probably a typically tragic story. But I'd have thought those stories were few and far between. Uh, that uh, whilst they're terrible stories, uh, it wouldn't be the cause of most crime that takes place do you believe that mental health problems is the cause of most crime
10: well Mike on the same day when I was sitting down in, in, in the guard station a guard told me that a few nights before that there a person tried to commit suicide jumped at a bridge in, in, in Boyne the guards took him down to a Cross Lane and a few hours later he was walking the streets again there's something seriously, seriously wrong here at the moment. is like mm. A place that maybe costing billions a year. I was just reading it out. Uh, I don't know many. There's a, it's a 43 bedrooms and end suites. Mm. We can have all these mod cons and billions we have at the moment, is, but we have to look after the people in society. Oh, I don't and- know
3: how many times I, I, I've seen people myself in hospital emergency departments after failed suicide attempts, and they were treated for physical injuries and then released.
10: Well, listen. I'm going to get myself in trouble here again. I rang Minister Jim Daly, who's the Minister responsible, and he basically told me that you know don't get involved in this here. It's not really to do with you. I'm saying to myself is my constituents are coming to me nearly on a daily basis at the moment. People can't cope. Like if you've got dementia or Alzheimer's, like there's a lot of a lot of serious issues out there going on at the moment. Is and there's no help whatsoever. Mm. Like, like, and this- Jim Daly told you. Basically, basically told me that it was basically none of my business. To look the other way, basically none of my business is such. I mean, like, uh, I, I, rang him up and asked for help. What should they do here at the moment? a person getting released from a psychiatric unit. Next thing, running around a car park. Like these, these mm. things to me are very, very serious.
3: And, uh, and that's the story that you brought specifically to the minister.
10: Oh, what I doubt yeah, I, I, mm. I, I, I see what was happening there at the moment. Is and okay. to be honest, yeah, I might as well be talking to a white newspaper.
3: We'll contact Minister Daly uh, and ask him to respond to that. And yeah. I- Mike, if he did ask you to Mike, look this the other way. this in yeah. fairness,
10: this is this is a couple of months ago there at the moment is and and mm. one thing one thing if it's about Peter Fismaty I go by my, my reputation I don't tell lies at the moment to see what situation at the moment Is uh, all we're doing at the moment is tipping the, uh, at the top of the iceberg guards are walking 24-7 mm. I maintain that the HSE should give a lot more support like primary care units mm. psychiatric units at the moment it's, but are you blaming the
3: HSE for rural crime that mental health problems are going unattended and that that's the cause of crime what I'm trying to say,
10: Michael, is the ga- it's, it's taken up far too much time for the guards. Mm. When the guards go, the guards can't lift the phone Mental health problems. So. Mental mm. health problem, Michael, mm. is... The, my, my, my sources at the moment is saying that, that when the guards call to a house, it, whether it's a social issue or whether it's mental health, the guards have nowhere to go looking for help. Mm. And neither they're talking about training the guards up, that the guards can intervene. The guards have enough... To, all I want is people are entitled to a quality of life, and, and especially in the rural Ireland there at the moment is. And a, a lot of families there need help. And and I'm just saying, I don't think that the HSE, with their 17 billion a year spending at the moment, is, and the Department of Justice, do what they do in other countries like Scotland, England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Work together, get a wee agency going together. That if a guard does call to a house, or if a guard has very serious issues, that there should be a little phone up. Someone should be, especially should be into that phone, twenty-four-seven, willing to help the people in the area. And to me, that means that the guards can go on and do the do the do the work, prevent crime, mm. and make make life better for everybody, whether it's rural or urban Ireland.
3: Okay. I, I would be very surprised if mental health is responsible for anything more than a, a small percentage Michael, of the crimes. Michael,
10: every bit adds on but mm. I'm just going to say Well, I'm it, sure Michael, it does. Yeah. Michael, no, I'm not disputing I'm, that either. I'm just going to have say the moment, moment is, service, I think, yeah. Michael uh, 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 the amount of money that we're spending on mm. mental health at the moment and maybe the lack of money spent mm. in mental health at the moment is that to me that, that's a very, very major thing and and Michael, and my consistency offers is on a daily basis there's people coming in, Michael and all they really want to do is listening to them at the moment and to do of problems and Michael... Mm. I be honest, with you. whether you ring into some bridges, have like when you ring a helpline or something like that, I my experience is, oh, you have to go to A, B, and C, mm. and sorry, this place is only open from nine o'clock to five o'clock, and everything else. Like where do people go? And you just can't go up to an A an and because up in an A and E, the nice thing, nine ten to the ten, mm. people are just sent home. We, I think we've got an epidemic coming in this country and unless we, we, we face the fact that like, there is a lot of serious issues out there at the moment, Michael, and I, I can say a few more things, Michael, but I, I I think I've said it really enough this morning. I think this country is in a very, very serious state at the moment. Is I think we lack looking after individual people and, and, and lack looking after families and I think the sooner we get something, the better. As I said earlier on, I think it's very important that the Minister for Justice, the Minister for, for Health get together and I think that these two issues, Michael, will alleviate a lot of problems in this country.
3: OK, uh, you want, the committee wants a, a focus on community policing. Uh, what would be the effect of community policing? Uh, I take it it's intervention and prevention as well in terms of the behaviour of young people before they enter into a life of crime.
10: The community police is is someone that can go into rural Ireland, into an area whether whether they have a guard station or no guard station. That if people feel confident and get to know the individual reality that if if they feel as though they need a bit of help, they can go and trust them. Because what happens is uh, information is the best source of of combating uh, crimes, and people people have the information, and if people can get into you know get get to trust the the the, the, the community policing. Mm. Like this was introduced in 1987, and in fairness, Michael all they can see is is, is reports after the. Reports in two thousand and five, two thousand and seven, two thousand and nine, two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and fifteen. All we seem to be doing, Michael, is putting reports, reports, reports. For once and for all, the economy is going well again. There's eight hundred guards every year we recruited to, uh, to, to the guards. Uh, we, we, we've enough. We've enough coming up through the moment. Is if this was a business, it'll go bankrupt. What we just need is organisation, and organisation from the top. And I think if you do it right, I've got good faith. As I'm on the justice committee in the in the I've met uh, Drew house on numerous occasions. I think he's, he's the man. I I feel confident that would lead the guard forward. Uh, as I said, yeah, it's important that that all these all these departments work very very close together. And Michael, as I said, yeah, if this was a business. It should be run properly. And I'm just saying, uh, people taxpayers should be getting value for money and I feel as though that the taxpayers in this country are getting no value for money
3: Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning that's independent TD in loud Peter Fitzpatrick
6: Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. LMFM.
3: Now the Irish Times reports uh, today uh, that 695 people were caught drink driving in January of this year which is up 16% on the same month last year but of uh, the 695 people who were over the limit just 69 of them were caught the morning after or about 10% of those who were found to be over the limit which is a slight increase On the year previous, which was 8%. It's up 1 to 9, as I say. Uh, Lots of talk about uh, these figures, and if uh, the Guardian, as Minister Finney McGrath has suggested, have been over the top in policing the new legislation with Michael Fitzmaurice, who's an independent TD for Roscommon Galway. Good morning to you, Michael, and uh, thanks for joining us here this morning. I I think you're one of the people who had concerns uh, about the implementation of uh, the change in the Road Traffic Act. Uh, Are you surprised by these figures? uh, Because they don't seem over the top it all seems very little difference in fact
1: well first of all um, it shows that 10% is between the hours of 6 and 12 in the morning or uh, in the day um, but 90% is in the hours outside that um, but I think the nub of the issue is um, that anyone that's over the limit in drink driving um, no one condones that but what we had said was that the person that is now and, and bear in mind one thing as well Michael I think we need to be uh, Recognised this, that the figures that come out are the people, the number of people uh, that would be arrested. Right? Mm. Those that doesn't say that when you go into a guard the barracks that you are that you go down in the test there. Mm. Because some people actually we've heard stories some of those people did not go down when they went on the machine.
3: Yeah, well, you could have been gargling with Listerine or something and find the yeah, well, breath yeah, test would off. give a skewed so we, need yeah. be,
1: we, we need to just keep that in context mm-hmm. as well.
3: But, but it's but, fairly um, indicative of uh, the extent of... Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, but but, the, but the, the reality of it is, of course, what we had talked about was that the, one time ago, there was, uh, before this new legislation came in, you could uh, pay a fine and you were not put off the road if you were minimally over it. Mm. But that's the law that changed, isn't it? Everything else changed. Mm. But what Finian said uh, about political, say, uh, policing, I think was out of context, it was over the top, and it wasn't a good judgment for a minister to come up.
3: Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I suppose his, his comments come in uh, the context of claims uh, that guardy were outside of churches when people were going or coming from mass, or uh, on the roads uh, when parents were taking children to school, uh, and people were afraid to get into their cars if they had a, a drink the night before. But there's no evidence well, there are, of that. The evidence, uh, well, uh, the evidence would actually seem to be the opposite. That there's fewer morning after uh, people. No, well, uh, first
1: of all, yeah, but the the the, real, the first thing is. We are not talking about. Let's be clear on this: the amount of checkpoints. There, there is no doubt about it, um, and everybody knows this, this. There are more checkpoints now. Uh, we see in the mornings. That's that's Gaza's mm. right to do that. Mm. That is obviously their strategy that they're doing. But there is no doubt about it that over the last few months, we would everybody would see more of a presence in the mornings uh, in fertilizers or in checkpoints
3: for that. Well, that means they're wasting their time, doesn't it?
1: Well, whatever they're doing, that's mm. their strategy. Obviously, if they're looking at the ninety percent, they may move their strategy. But that's the Garda's right to do mm. that. There is no point giving out about Garda in my opinion. When within the door, if you press the green button to bring in legislation, we we're, we're legislators in the door. When legislation comes in, it's for uh, the Garda to enforce as what as they see fit strategically, whichever way they want. And or um, as they see best mm. there is no painting given out then two or three months later about it um, because maybe that you're getting a bit of uh, hammered on a
3: door okay. uh, over
1: the legislation.
3: But but if they're setting out to catch people, which seems to be the case you're making uh, and well, uh, they're not uh, catching no, more no. people, uh, well then it would seem as though they're wasting their time because they're trying to police a, a problem that isn't there.
1: First of all I'm not setting out that they're trying to catch people
3: what I well see, there's more checkpoints
1: th- yeah there's more mm-hmm. checkpoints and that's the guard right strategically whichever way they may change that in two months time and go for a different hour of the day. that's fully their entitlement yes going by the stats that you were saying there if you are looking at the other 90% it would be interesting to see the hours that they are um, being caught in and on top of that I have put in a PQ that I'm waiting on a, um, waiting on a an answer back to mm because they're compiling the stuff, I am waiting to see the uh, different numbers of checkpoints in 2017, 18, 19, at the different times, like from 6 to 12, mm. and from 12 at night and from 6 in the morning. Mm. Um, we would be also fearful um, that I wouldn't like to see a huge amount of checkpoints at 10 or 11 o'clock in the day when places maybe or rural areas may be under pressure being uh, robbed as you've as you as you've highlighted at four or five or six in the morning by uh people coming from different areas to to do burglaries. And I think that I'm I'm waiting on those figures, Michael, mm. to see what will those deaths tell us. Yeah.
3: Uh, Do you agree or disagree with uh, what the guards are doing? Uh, And you've made it clear that it's up to them to decide what they should do or how they should police these laws. Uh, But does it not seem like a waste of time to you based on the stats that we're looking at today?
1: Well, first of all, I disagreed with the legislation that was being brought in. I've always stated that if we implemented what was there... um, then I think that things would have, would be okay.
3: And that means for people who are at a higher level of alcohol to blood, who have had more to drink, in other words, than those who are caught in the morning with a, a small amount of alcohol in their system.
1: Yeah, well, what, what it means is that the new legislation has you off the road for three months mm. if you're over the minimum uh, limit. That's what it is. Mm. And we, I would have opposed that. I've always said that if we enforce what was there, You've heard me many a time saying if I'd feet on the street. Look, it's the Gardaí will probably, and this this may be this may be che- doing things to check out which is the best time to get people when they have uh, alcohol in their blood, and they may be doing that for a while. They may have to look at it when you look at the stats now mm. that 90% are outside the hours of 12 in the day uh, to six the following morning. So there's 18 hours there that 90% of the people are obviously caught in. Where is the high rate of that? and I presume they will concentrate more on that. Mm. Uh,
3: And you know the way you were saying not everybody uh, will fail the blood test after the breath test uh, because it is a a breath test and as I said, uh, you could be over the limit if you'd gargled with Listerine. Uh, You could guarantee that anybody who got into a car from a pub came straight out of a pub and into a a car would be over the limit uh, because there would be alcohol on on their breath. Uh, So I think those figures would be skewed completely differently Differently uh, against uh, night-time checkpoints. If they were to have checkpoints near pubs,
1: well, they probably would. But I think what our job as as TDs to do is now get the figures on the amount of people that were actually breath tested and went down on the breath test, as again the number of people that went down on the machine in the Garthaberry. I and think that's very important statistic to get to see wh- wh- how much wh- wh- of What?
3: Why? Wh- 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 what's your suspicion in that sense?
1: Well, it it will be, I I look, we hear all different types of stories. Mm. I've heard of someone that was going to mess on Sunday up in Mead, actually, in your own area, and um, that they were, they had, uh, um, or no, they were actually going to a mess in an evening, and they went in and they got a sherry trifle, but they had wrenched their mouth as well. And they actually went down the bread test, but when they went into the barracks, the sound sounded the bells.
3: Sherry so. Trifle. Yeah. Mm,
1: okay. Yeah.
3: Well, there couldn't be an awful lot of alcohol in that unless you. Well, yeah, uh, but
1: it, <laughs> if the bread test just mm. showed that certain amount. unfortunately, as well, and you've heard the RSA in the last few days mm. stating that, you know, the kits that you can buy mm. that people were told basically may be a help to them, yep. that they are now going by the RSA. I'm not saying this going by the RSA, what they have said is that they aren't accurate to give a true reflection to people, which is unfortunate.
3: These are breath tests that people are buying themselves to see if they're... Yeah, well,
1: it. the RSA have come out in the last week and stated that it wouldn't be overly reliant on them, that they may not be.
3: Hmm. Well, I, I imagine, like any product, some are uh, of a better standard than others but, and but some are bottom, more The bottom line, line on all of mm-hmm.
1: this is mm. that there's legislation in there. We can mm. talk about uh, we can give out about X, Y, and Z. The bottom line on it is, is legislators have brought this in. There's no point in blaming the guarantee. the Phineas McGrath cannot talk out two sides of his mouth drive mm. right, two sides of the road, he was one of the people that was in government along with Shane Ross, Finegale, Finegale, mm. the whole lot of them. They voted to do it. Those eight of us, we were well beaten. There's no point in saying we weren't. Now is the time to bring solutions in the line of high uh, uh, community buses, and I'm on a, I was on, actually on about it last night community buses to bring solutions to people because the unfortunate side of this is mm. there are a lot of small villages in this country that uh, the shop has gone, the pub, or the shop has gone, the post office has gone, the gather station has gone. There might be a small pub. Uh, is the only lookout post at the end of that town and unfortunately they are in trouble because a lot of them are closing. there is, a, it, we, what we highlighted has come through unfortunately mm. and we need to bring solutions to keep a lifeline under them in a safe way that we can get uh, the, a government and mm. politicians are greater, bringing bring in legislation that cripple people. We need to bring in legislation or uh, we need to bring in solutions, in my opinion, in the line of public transport, in the line of minibuses to communities that will run them themselves because they're well fit to do it. Uh,
3: and what do you make of Finna McGrath? Because uh, you know the minister, I suppose, Better yeah. than most people would. Michael yeah. Fitzmaurice, as uh, somebody uh, who was a member of uh, the Independent Alliance, uh, somebody who holds similar views, uh, but you're making the arguments in a, a different way in terms of the drink driving legislation. Uh, you'd also know uh, uh, the, Shane the Ross is, as yeah, a member I'm... of the Alliance who introduced that legislation. Uh, what do you think of what Finney McGrath said and the apology that he subsequently issued? Do you believe uh, the apology? Do you
1: believe that? The he... First, the, the first thing is. Um, the difference is, and this is probably the difference why Mike Fitzmaurice didn't in up in government. What I said day one on the drink driving, I stuck with it. Yes, I got abused got abuse for it. We were called road terrorists. The toilets were filibustering. And we had to take that out on the chin. But we stuck our guns in what we said. Uh, unfortunately, Finnean done one thing a few months ago. Now he's, he made a statement to a paper over the weekend then he went retracting it. What really I don't like is that if you believe in something, whatever the consequences are, mm. you should be able to stick with it. And it's probably being realistic and honest about it. I think what has happened is that he got a phone call from probably the Tisha or somebody in the hierarchy of government and said, if that's not withdrawn, you won't be within your state care. And I think it was withdrawn.
3: Mm. And you said you thought it was over the top to say it was political policing. Uh, in other words, uh, I yeah, interpret yeah, that you, you to mean you cannot,
1: that the, you, cannot yeah. go, uh, you cannot go accusing the... You cannot go... You cannot
3: go accusing the... So should he lose the state car then? Because he did well, accuse them.
1: In, in fairness, he has apologised. It's not life or death. Uh, but I think he got the phone call that admit him come out fairly quick and make sure that he that he retracts it, but it undermines your credibility, if yeah, you say so
3: completely it, in other words, you're saying the t told him what to think.
1: well, I would I cannot prove that, but I would imagine that he was told that uh, like if you're a government minister and you're within mm. a cabinet, okay. if you have problems, it's within there you you do your boxing not abroad in the media with the independent uh, saying things, you know that doesn't work. And what I can see of would' have happened is that probably, uh, you know, out there in the rural Ireland, there's no point in saying it, there is a lot of people very vexed at what Shane Ross has done on the drink driving legislation, supported by Finnegan and Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin and the lot of them. So, uh, there's a lot of people that be getting it on the door and um, he probably thought that it would be cool to say something different, but his coolness had to turn where he had to apologise.
3: OK, very interesting. Michael Fitzmaurice, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Right. Michael Fitzmaurice, an independent TD for Roscommon and Galway.
6: Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navan Station joins us for the report this week, and we begin in the Slane area. A car has been broken into.
11: Yes, good morning Michael. Um, This car was broken into this day last week, Tuesday last, the 26th of March um, and it belonged to American tourists who are visiting Doubt outside Slane and between quarter past 12 and half 12 the car was broken into their passports were taken, their driving licence was taken, their debit card was taken, and uh, it caused serious disruption because that was their final point in Ireland. They were heading to the airport next, and obviously, as far as they understand, they could not travel that evening. Um, so we're appealing for anybody who was around that area, doubt outside Slane this day last week at lunchtime. Did you see anybody unusual? Any suspicious activity? If you can assist, to please contact Slane Garda mm. Station. And
3: because of the items taken, a uh, uh, much more serious crime than would ordinarily be the <clears throat> case. Apart from the tourists not being able to travel, which must have been a significant inconvenience, then there's the issue of the passports themselves and the whereabouts of the passports. Yes,
11: very disruptive, Michael. Very unfortunate experience.
3: Okay, we've a burglary to report on next in Dundalk.
11: Yes, this burglary happened uh, last Tuesday night, um, the 26th of March, on the Castletown Road. Um, A premises there was broken into. It's the the Mullins Takeaway premises. And at 11.40pm, we know that the premises was broken into via the rear roof. Um, um, From CCTV analysis, we could see three people walking up from the Bridge Road, uh, two males and one female. Um, They were all covered up. We couldn't identify their faces. Um, We could see them looking through the shutters and then they went round the back of the premises. Uh, Two of the males climbed onto the roof um, and broke in and the female kept watch outside. Now, they damaged various items in the premises. They broke the till, um, they uh, took a charity box, they broke a sweet machine and uh, (coughs) they left over the rear wall of the property and they headed either towards uh, Castle, Ross or Saltown areas. Um, now there was um, some blood found at the point of entry so one of these culprits appeared to have cut themselves so perhaps somebody in the Dundalk area uh, might have information that would help us in relation to that investigation and Dundalk Gardaí would appreciate any information on that.
3: Okay, we've uh, a couple of cars uh, that were stolen to report on uh, the first of these from Ashburn.
11: Yes, this happened uh, overnight last Thursday night into the early hours of Friday morning um, it's a black Nissan X-Trail a 171MH registration and it was taken from Brindley Park Road in Ashbourne. It was taken from the driveway of a house there. That vehicle is still outstanding. If there's any information on that, Ashbourne Gardy would appreciate a call.
3: Uh, another stolen car, this one in RD. <laughs>
11: Yes, Michael, same type of uh, theft again. This happened overnight uh, between, uh, sorry, last Friday night into Saturday morning, uh, just after midnight on Friday and uh, discovered at 8.50am on Saturday morning. It's an orange Renault Captor hatchback, a 181LH registration, and it was taken from Rockfield NRD. Uh, RD Gardy are investigating that one.
3: Okay and we're going to conclude uh, this week in Athboy where Gardy are investigating a burglary.
11: Yes this happened um, Sunday, sometime between 11pm and Sunday night and 6.40am yesterday morning a garage uh, beside a house was broken into at Mymet Kilbride which is between Trim and Athboy, it's Athboy Garda area. Um, now there was a large ride on lawnmower taken, it's a a Kubota GR1600 diesel model um, that was taken there was also a Porto Tecnica Elite industrial pressure washer and a Makita cordless drill so some form of transport would have been uh, required to take these items from the premises so Gardie, by are appealing to anybody who was in that area the early hours of yesterday morning that might have seen suspicious or unusual activity, To please contact him at, at Boy Garda Station.
3: Or indeed, if you're offered a ride on lawnmower, as the case may be, Absolutely. or pressure washer, yeah. Uh, valuable uh, items stolen there. Uh, but uh, that uh, concludes uh, the report as we say for this week. Sergeant Ronan Farrelly of Navan Garda Station, thank you very much indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, let's go back to some more of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Marie, you have uh, some more calls.
9: I sure do. We've lots in in relation to the dog fouling and fly tipping, Michael. Uh, Easy for that councillor to criticise the reference to uh, Councillor Emma Coffey, but the council is not providing enough bins for the proper disposal um, of waste. If you're out with your dog and you do pick up after them and you're going for a long walk, sometimes there is not there, there are no bins in the area and you could end up carrying a couple of bags, says this mm. listener.
3: Well, if you want to have a dog, I suppose uh, that's uh, the terms and conditions.
9: Raymond says, what can councils do really? Fly tipping is at an epidemic and they can not sort that. The only way they will solve the dog poop is for special poop observational teams, mm. a spot for short, to follow people around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a question of the €150 Euro fine being too little. They are not catching the people in the first place, uh, says another listener. Well,
3: you'd have to assume that they're not trying very hard to catch them.
9: Bernie says, uh, "Do dogs have DNA? If so, it would be simple to check with vets and get people's details." Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure about that now at
3: all, but okay, I'm I'm sure they have DNA, but I'm not sure how simple it would be.
9: Well, Pat from at the boy has the answer. Okay. He says we have pampers for babies, so we should have pull-ups for dogs.
3: No, well, that's punishing the dogs for the crimes of people. Of its owner. Yep. Mm.
9: A lot of problems uh, with dog poo not being picked up is no bins to put them in. That comes in from a texter. Jack says every t- year around this time we talk about rubbish and litter. But that's it Michael, talk. Mm. Mm. Litter is left along country roads and councils don't care. They just seem to come along and cut the road sides without lifting the rubbish first. You see this every year and it just doesn't seem to be a case that anybody cares. I
3: can't really believe that you got a couple of calls from people who were saying it was okay to allow dogs to feed the street not pick up after them if there aren't bins that's really a remarkable way well, of thinking, do not d- necessarily mm.
9: say. I don't necessarily say that they're saying, well, oh, that's, we're uh, going that's to the dump point. it. They're more or, less, more or less saying that maybe if there was more bins provided, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's people the same point may.
3: It's the same point. It's a remarkable mindset, I really think. It's terrible.
9: Jim and Avon says, mm. there'll always be people with no respect for themselves, the mm. environment mm. or the future generations of this country. They expect everything for nothing and are parasites on decent people who obey the laws of the land. Okay. The man, just moving on then to your interview with uh, Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick, just in relation to mental health, mm-hmm. uh, we had a listener uh, from Michael phoned in who's involved in the and fisherman rescue, and he just wanted to make the point that he agrees that uh, that people are let out of hospital when often when they arrive with mental health issues far too quickly. He says that he's been involved in the rescue service for over 50 years and the difference in the numbers nowadays attempting to take their own lives in comparison to when he first started out. And he just thinks that it needs to be talked about more and not be hush hush when somebody is, take, you know, when someone takes their own life. Okay. So that was his point.
3: All right. We'll make that we, the that's final it. Question. We'll go okay. back to the other ones tomorrow. We are tomorrow. out of time, really Okay. Open. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Uh, remember, there'll be a podcast of today's show on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. And God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye the michael reed show podcast tune in weekdays from nine on lmfm to contact
2: us email now michael at lmfm.ie